Now, will you please welcome to the stage our guest moderator, news editor of Empire Magazine, and part of the presenting team on BBC's Film 2011, Chris Hewitt. Wow. Hi, everyone. Wow, this is a big turnout. And yes, I know what you're thinking. This is a Pixar-related T-shirt. But with today's guest, how could you not? But before we get to meet him, let's take a look at his latest film. This is a trailer for Cars 2. This place makes the Bermuda Triangle look like a kiddie pool. They say out here is where the ocean burns. We're here, right where you paid me to bring you. Question is, why? I'm looking for a car. <gasps> it's McMissile! When a mission is this dangerous, the world's greatest spot. Ooh, that was a close one. We'll call on the help of a winning team. Wish me luck. You go get him, buddy. Lightning McQueen, welcome to the World Grand Prix. I never properly introduced myself. Finn McMissile, British Intelligence. Co-mighty. Average intelligence. This summer... I need your help. What? ...in a race that will take them around the world. Domo Arigato! Ooh, international challenge. Not again. They'll experience more excitement. Listen, this isn't Radiator Springs. Uh, Leaking oil. I gotta go. Sorry, ladies. More danger. There he is! And more adventure than ever before. Wait, Mater! I'm sticking by you the way you always stick by me! Multiple assailants are closing in quickly. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny right there. Cars 2. You know I know some karate. Oh, you've got to be joking. Coming soon. Now, uh, please welcome to the stage a man who has shaped animation of the last quarter of a century, uh, the director of Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Cars, Cars 2, the chief creative officer of Disney and Pixar, the great John Lasseter. Wow, great. How are you? Have a seat. Hi, everybody. It's all for you, John. There's a young chap down there in a the, uh, pit lane outfit, which, yeah, is, awesome. which is pretty cool. Um, John, I think I want to start off with uh, how different this film is from the first movie. I think we saw it during the trailer, but we have a clip that sets it up. It's the opening of the film, if you want to yeah. set it the, up. Um, when we, at Pixar, when we always do a sequel for a, a film, we, we will only do a sequel when, when we have a great story. And we like to do things that are different than the original. I mean, uh, we all know those kind of sequels that are made seemingly just to print money that are exactly the same 
story is the first one. And at Pixar, we always strive to do something different. And with cars, we, I love the world of cars being alive and there's no humans. It's something that's very kind of personal for me because my dad um, was a, a manager of a parts department at a Chevrolet dealership in Southern California where I grew up. And, and so I always loved the idea of cars being alive. And, and so we wanted to do something really different for the second film. And I've always loved spy movies ever since I was a little kid. There was um, this American TV show called The Man From U.N.C.L.E. that was on when I was a little kid, and I just loved that show. And so we thought um, it'd be awesome to, to maybe take a look at the possibility of doing a completely different genre for the second film. And the one thing I love about the spy movie genre is spy cars with the cool gadgets and all that stuff and in our world the spy car and the spy are one and the same and i thought this could be really fun to do and something that's very different so as any good spy movie it starts with a kick-ass <laughs> spy opening right. and so we have a little clip from that uh the spy opening Fantastic. where you get to meet finn mcwhistle uh voiced by michael kane sir michael kane for the first time so here's the spy opening from cars 2 I know it's just a clip, but I always like, oh, I want to see the rest of it. Sorry. <laughs> but you can go in a thousand different directions when you're making a film like this. Yeah. And, uh, obviously, you went with spy movies, but did you, did you go through any other iterations of this movie before you settled on this? We, um, no, it, it's interesting how this idea evolved because when I uh, was, was, after Cars was finished, it's a very Americana story about Lightning McQueen being stuck on old Route 66 and learning that the journey in life is a reward. It's something that I kind of experienced myself after um, directing, you know, through the 1990s, I directed the first three Pixar films and I had um, four of my five children during that time and my wife said, you better be careful, one day you're gonna wake up and your kids will have gone to college and you will have missed it. And so we took the summer of 2000 off and and got a motorhome and traveled all over the United States without no plan. And I really learned that the journey in life is a reward that weekend. And so I really wanted to create a film like that. So that's what Cars was about. And um, after it was, oh, after we finished it and I traveled around the world doing publicity for, for Cars, I, I, I had Cars as characters kind of on the brain in my mind. And as I traveled around the world, um, I kept looking at Tokyo and London and Italy and Paris and from a point of view of cars being alive and I thought oh this could be really fun and I thought you know the first movie was very Americana I thought that this the next one would be fun to take these characters and go around the world mm. 
The spy idea came from actually a scene that we had, were developing in the first movie, Cars. Lightning McQueen is taking Sally on, on a first date. And they, the original, because when I grew up in, you know, in high school, uh, you know, dates were, you, you took people, you took girls to the movie theater. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, lights were dim and you could make out. And no one would pay attention <laughs> to you. But the, um, and so, so I thought, well, a, a, a movie, um, a car going to the movies would be a drive-in movie theater. And so we needed a movie playing on the screen. And that's where my, my love of spy movies came out. Mm. And I, we, we, that's where we first created Finn McMissile. Well, the, the development of the, um, the story shifted the, the location of that scene to be about, about the cruising and the neon lights turning on. And so the spy movie got cut, but I never really forgot about it. So traveling around the world, and I thought spy movies, like, they, they kind of go around the world. And so mm. that's where it came. And I also had been to my first Formula One race, which I'm crazy about uh, Formula One now. Okay. And I really wanted Lightning McQueen to race against all these other cool race cars from around the world. Oh, fantastic. And they do more kind of European-style racing. And so all that kind of came together, and uh, we really set out to... to you know, have fun with, with this film and, and make a really very different type of male film. As you traveled around the world, were you surprised in a way by the enduring impact of, of cars? I mean, it really caught on in a big way. I mean, obviously it's sold lots it of merchandise, is. lots of DVD units over the years. It's interesting how cars, when it first came out, it did quite well around the world, mm. not as well as some of our other films, but unlike any film in, in really in cinema history, you know, it's gotten more popular as time has gone on. I mean, people have discovered it and keep discovering it, and the products keep selling, and it's just, it's pretty staggering. I mean, you know, not that I make movies, uh, to me, I make movies to really entertain audiences, and I love quality is the best business plan. We always strive to make the best stories in all of our stories. And also, if, if a product is being made based upon our characters, I really want the products to be as high quality as possible. And I'm a big kid. I mean, look at me. I'm wearing a kind of Cars 2 Hawaiian shirt here. You know? <laughs> and and I, I love, you know, the toys and the products, but I want them to be really high quality. Well, the toys took off, and, they, and they, they kept going up, you know, as far as the amount they were being sold. And so since the first movie has come out, based on one movie, um, they, I, they told me that $10 billion worth of products have been sold. Wow. That's After bad. one movie, that helps pay for a shirt. I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> pays for the shirt. And um, so, but but anyway, it's 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 been very exciting to see the, yeah. all over the world how, how it's been caught on. But you know, it's it's really exciting because I think the the to me my my what I enjoy the most is when um, is when I'm out in the the, the world and I see um, see sort of a family or a kid or something like that. It's like holding you know, a character of ours, you know, and they don't know who I am, it doesn't matter, but it's like that character really means something yeah. to them in order to have that. Absolutely. And that's how I always view the products that we make. Absolutely. Um, making this movie, directing films is no longer your day job. For the, uh, for the, the people here, can you tell them exactly what your day job involves? Um, I, uh, about five years ago, Disney bought Pixar, and I was made by Steve Jobs and... Um, and Bob Iger, I was made chief creative officer of, of course, Pixar Animation Studios, which I was, but then um, of the, the Walt Disney Animation Studios. 
Disney Toon Studios, and I'm Principal Creative Advisor for Walt Disney Imagineering. And so with, um, with that comes uh, a responsibility of kind of overseeing everything creative that goes on at each of those studios. And so I tend to um, work with the directors. Each of those studios is what I call a filmmaker-driven studio. It's the way Pixar is, and we, we converted Disney over to that. And what that means is all the ideas of the, the stories come from the directors, come from, you know, they, they kind of own, own the, the stories and the films. And we, it was very different than the rest of Hollywood. We, we surround... Then, then we surround all the directors with, with uh, what we call the Creative Brain Trust or the Creative Story Trust. And that is all the other directors and case story people. And each of the, the directors are responsible for showing their movies internally to the studio every three to four months. And the, the, then all of us get together and we then look at it and then give notes to the, um, we give notes to the, um, uh, the directors for you know to, to try to make their movies the best they could be and each each of these films takes about four years to make okay and so i'm overseeing and working with the creative teams for all the movies and overseeing all all the projects and also at imagineering i'm helping um design uh, the theme parks based uh and theme parks attractions based upon our um our characters and in uh, disneyland paris a, a new uh, toy story Playland kind of opened up, which okay. is a little mini land with our characters. And in California, we're doing a whole Cars land, which is pretty amazing. And that's really fun. That's like um, dessert, you know. I don't call that work. It's in really words, fun. Yeah. And so, so but, but in my chief creative position, I'm kind of working with the creative teams heading up each, each project. When I direct a film, it's more of like I'm, I'm now kind of the storyteller and the guy that's kind of creating... The, the, the film working in collaboration with my team and then I get to work with the individual artists at, at Pixar which I think is one of the things I really enjoy doing mm. so and I think it's great to have a sort of myself as kind of the creative head of the studio actually be a film director as well yeah and to be able to kind of um, so I, I know what they're going through and I'm able to help the young directors the first-time directors and help mentor them it's basically the coolest job ever, essentially. If you, you, wanna, you don't have to be yes. shy. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I do have the coolest job ever. <laughs> um, it's a lot you, of work. I, you know, what's interesting, though, is that you know, I have five sons, and I've told each of them, I said, I want you to choose, choose something that you really, really love to do yeah. as a job, and then you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> and they've seen how hard it is that, that, um, that I... I work, but mm. I just love every day, and I don't even think of it as a job. It's just so much fun. How do you find time to direct a film? Well, that was a, that was a big challenge. And, and on Cars 2, given that, that it's the first movie I've directed while I've been um, sort of in my new role, overseeing all the studios, I really, um, I take, um, I've delegated a lot, because all the people that I've worked with on many of the films, the, the kind of leadership, and so I've really, I, I stayed focused on what I knew was important, and it's developing the story, and then kind of crafting the, the filmmaking side of it, the layout, and, the, and working, you know, in editorial to get it, to get it um, you know, story reels edited right, and, sure. and really craft the film, and then working with all the other departments as much as I could, and then I was, I was able to, to delegate with that. But I also, um, that something kind of neat happened while I was working on Cars 2, uh, the iPad came out. Yeah, now you have to understand, Steve Jobs is one of my best friends, and uh, you know, he was CEO of Pixar 
for 20 something years mm. and founded Pixar and was owner of Pixar and you know kind of helped make me the, 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 the leader I am he's just an amazing guy and but you know I'm a big uh, technology geek and he's I get to go to work with dad you know a couple times a year meaning I get to go down and hang out with Steve at Apple and get to see all the advanced <laughs> stuff so when the iPad was coming out I had to have one opening day and I was able to get one because I knew people <laughs> and um, and so but 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 I almost immediately started using it in an interesting way because I, I love the, the the photo and the video kind of part of it and I started when I, I was so busy at work with, with doing all the other stuff and working on that, I was not able to get to, like, say, early in, in Cars 2, the art department had so much amazing art for me to review and see and give comments on. So I had them start just downloading <coughs> on my iPad um, all of the, uh, the, the drawings that were done digitally and, or okay, they scanned yeah. them in and they downloaded because I have an hour commute home and I would ride with a friend home yeah. and I'd, on the way home I would look at these and I was able to go through them really fast on, on the, the iPad and then on my iPhone there's the, the, the um, voice memo app and I was I did a I would do a voice memo and then sit and you can email the voice memos which is pretty cool and so boom you know people started <laughs> showing up in the morning and all of a sudden there was a, a voice memo from me from my iPhone talking about the stuff that they didn't even know I had I had taken home right <laughs> and so then um, our supervising technical director um, on on Cars Two he. He said, hey, I, I think I can write you an, an app to do this and, and be a little, have, even have better controls. So we cr he created a, an app just for me called a review tool where stills and video can be downloaded onto this from all the different departments on Cars 2. And then um, when I'm, I look through it and when I'm ready to give a comment, there's a button that says, I said voice, and it starts recording my voice. And I'm wearing the little, you know, the Apple sort of uh, headphones with a microphone on it. And, and then when I'm done, I hit stop and hit email, and it's already addressed to the right person, <laughs> and it's all. And I was able to go through stuff so fast yeah. that pretty soon they started getting me a driver, so, and they would use my, my hour drive to work and hour drive home as kind of meeting time to review stuff. And I was able to get, they estimate that one hour of a review time on the iPad was equivalent to about three hours at Pixar. Oh, wow. And so I was able to really, Cars 2 could not have been done without the iPad. And I was able to kind of do that. So I'm sitting here staring at the big iPad um, <laughs> uh, billboard out there. And it yeah. was just reminding me of that. because. And now um, every division I oversee has iPads that they load with stuff and they send home. And sometimes I'm coming, my bag is full of six iPads that I'm kind of looking through and stuff. In fact, I have an iPad at the hotel right now that they're saying, John, can you take a look at, you know, right, the right, sequences right. and stuff like that. So, but it really is great how, um, you know, what's exciting about working at Pixar, Pixar's 25 years old this year. <clears throat> Steve Jobs, for those who don't know, Steve Jobs bought um, the Lucasfilm Computer Division in February of 19, February 3rd of 1986. And it was when we formed the company Pixar. And Pixar initially was, um, a, a technology company for the first kind of like nine years of its life. Um, and in, from 1986 until about 1991, um, there was only four of us in the, the computer animation research group. 
And I was the only traditionally trained animator working with computer animation. Because mm. I came from, my background is in, in working um, at Disney as an animator. And I got so excited about computer animation early on working at Disney, but they were not interested in, in pursuing that. And so I, it led me, Ed Catmull hired me up at the Lucasfilm Computer Division. And the Lucasfilm Computer Division, I have to just go back in, in history just a little bit, is a really remarkable place that Ed Catmull started. And it is, um, um, it was started, he joined um, George Lucas in 1979, formed the group, and George asked him to do four projects. And at the time, they were really kind of considered insane, you know. But it's like he, George, you know, wanted to have computers help him with editing. So at this group, it, they they invented digital nonlinear editing, which now <laughs> we know it as Final Cut yeah. Pro and all, all that kind of idea, the Avid and stuff like that. It didn't exist before this group. Digital sound editing, like Pro Tools, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Didn't exist before this group. They, they developed the Editroid and in in the Sounddroid, and then compositing of images digitally didn't exist. It was an optical printer, so they in, invented that. With a kind of Alpha Channel was invented by our group, and then um, uh, 3D computer animation. Yeah. So those four ideas, from '79 to '86, were developed by this this small group. And Steve Jobs bad. bought this group. There was only 40 of us, and we formed the company Pixar. We had a Pixar image computer and all the software, like RenderMan and stuff, that was, was being developed. But in 1991, we made a deal with Disney and started developing um, the first um, computer animated feature film, which became Toy Story. It took four years to make, and that came out in November of 1995. Mm. And um, from that point on, we, were, we sort of shifted the whole... The whole company, Steve shifted the whole company to be just an animation studio, and we formed Pixar Animation Studio. Because uh, Toy Story, you know, if you cast your minds back, was a massive gamble. Now the, you know, the yes. landscape has changed completely, but back then, you know, Disney were, were behind it, gave it a release date, but it was basically the first of its kind. Did you, did you have any inkling at all of what was going to come? No, not really, because at the time we were just focused on telling a great story, and then we loved the technology, but we were, and we knew, because since Pixar invented much of computer animation, we knew what you could and could not do with a medium, which was hard back then, because everybody thought, oh, computer animation, you could do anything. Yeah. Well, you couldn't at that time. You know, you, you, you had to know sort of what it could and could not do. And at that time, everything kind of had a look of uh, when it was rendered in in um, 3D computer animation, it, it looks sort of like it was made of plastic. So let's make main characters, they were made of plastic, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, toys. That's where Buzz Lightyear and Woody and all the gang, you know, and it was perfect subject matter for the medium at that time. Mm. And, uh, and so it, we stayed away from the humans because they were extremely hard to do. And they all, you know, if you look back at Toy Story, it's the one thing that looks a little funky right now. But we, we obviously knew that at the time, and we, we staged everything so that they were just hands and feet, and you, you didn't see much of them, mm. you know. And so, but we focused on the, on the toys. And we always knew that the technology was advancing so rapidly um, that at, at one point in time or another, you know, you'd look at, at Toy Story, the original one, and it would look really dated. But to me, it was not about the technology that was going to entertain audiences. It was going to be the story and the characters. And that's what it's always, that's what was taught to me by the great Disney animators that were my teachers and mentors at CalArts and then at, at, um, at, at Disney. Mm. 
it was always about the stories, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. It's the emotion of, of these stories. And so I, I really kind of helped everyone at Pixar and you know, understand that it's not the technology that entertains people, it's, it's this, it's the stories. And we were so focused on trying to tell a story. And it's interesting when we were developing, when we were developing Toy Story, and you, know, you think about 1991, um, The Little Mermaid had come out, I think Aladdin had come out, and so there was this, Disney was just at the, its, its pinnacle of making these amazing um, animated films, a resurgence of Disney animation. They were all being done kind of in this kind of a Broadway musical sort of form. Yeah. And we made a list, Andrew Stan, Pete Docter, Joe Rampton, myself, we made a list of what we didn't want to do with, with our first feature film. We didn't <laughs> want to be musical. We didn't want it to have, you know, a, a main character with comic sidekicks. We didn't want to have a love story and all yeah, this yeah. stuff. We wanted it to be something different. So we were searching around and we discovered the buddy picture as a genre. And we knew that really fits with what we want because buddy pictures by nature have tremendous um, character growth. And that's what we were looking for. Because to me, I always knew that the main character and how he changes and grows through a movie, that's where the heart of the film comes from. The heart of the film is the foundation of your story. Mm. You can't add that later. You have to build that from the beginning. And it's about the, the journey that your main character goes on. And um, so we, we kind of set that, we thought this would be great, you know, set in the world where toys are alive, you know, when, when people aren't around. And so, so having an old toy that's a child's favorite and a new toy comes in and, and becomes a new favorite, we thought could be a great form for the buddy picture where you yeah. have buddy picture, typically you have two characters that are forced to be together that can't stand each other and through this journey, they, 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 grow, they grow as characters and then they, they, they want to be together, mm. you know. And, uh, and I think that's became kind of the form for, for Toy Story. And while we were making it, though, it's a very interesting thing that, you know, because at the time computer animation was doing mostly um, for TV, you know, station IDs, um, uh, just a handful of commercials, sports openings, you know, things like that. And they always had kind of glitzy, you know, metallic, you know, chrome or glass kind of looks to them and glowy kind of things. And, and it had sort of a cold look to it. Yeah. And everybody looked at that and, and said, wait a minute, you know, computer animation is not going to, you know, keep an audience, entertain an audience for a feature film. This is ridiculous. You know, that's <laughs> what everybody was saying. No one had faith in it, but we knew it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the story and the characters. Mm. And by choosing the subject matter of toys, it would lend itself to the, the medium in its kind of primitive form, yeah. like, like it was. And, it, and uh, we stayed focused on the story, and when it came out, it caught pretty much everybody, you know, Hollywood, everybody by surprise, and it became the number one movie of the year. Mm. And then next thing you know, everybody's wanting to do computer animation because, of course, they thought it was the fact that it was computer animation is why it was a big hit, mm. you know, which Absolutely. we know, of course, is not, not, the, not the case. Yeah. Do you keep an eye on, on uh, Rival Studios? I mean, now there's tons of... But see, of this editing. is interesting. Everybody says Rival Studios. To me, yeah. it's like uh, I don't really... I am so excited to be working in an industry that's really healthy, mm -hmm. you know, because to me, competition to us is literally when a... When, when you go to the movie theater, you look at the multiplex and see all the options you could go see, that's our competition. It's just what's in the theater at the time. Mm. If an animated film comes out you know, six months or six weeks before us, 
That's not competition. That's our friends. That's like I want everybody to go see animation. And I, and I think right now it's, it's such a fantastic, you know, the, the industry is so fantastic when you think about all the stuff that's going on. You know, look at recently, you know, um, great animated films like Coraline, the, the, the yeah, puppet yeah. animated film. Um, you know, uh, Tim Burton's working on Frank and Weenie right now, which is another yep. puppet animated film. We've got, you know, Ardman Animation here in, in, in the UK doing amazing clay animation. They're good friends. You know, we've got a lot of, a lot of good computer animation studios doing some really <coughs> innovative and fantastic work. And, you know, at Disney we're doing both hand-drawn animation yep. with both Princess and the Frog and Winnie the Pooh and, and with computer animation like Tangled was. And I think that with all that's going on, and to me the goal is that, that each of these films be, be really good. And when they come out, everybody has a great time at them. So the next animated film comes out, everybody's going, oh, I, we had such a great time there. I want to see this one too. Absolutely. And one of the things I love about animation, more than, I mean, that's all I've ever wanted to do and that's all I ever want to do is animation because it, it's just, it's pure art. When you're looking up on the screen, you get nothing for free in these films. At Pixar, you get nothing for free. Everything you see up on, you know, on the film, on the film here, is being crafted by an artist. Yeah. You know, even though they're using computers, computers are just a tool. You know, and I think that's what's so exciting about animation. I'd much rather be, you know, uh, working in a healthy industry where lots of talented people around the world are, are being able to 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 make a living doing what they love mm. than being the only player in a dead industry. Absolutely. Uh, both Brad Bird and Andrew Stanton have gone live action. You, mm -hmm. From what you just said there, it seems you have no plans to follow I suit. I have no plans. I am an animator through and through. That's all I ever want to do is animation. And I'm so proud to, to lead you know all of our teams. I'm, I'm really excited for both Andrew and Brad. I mean, I think what they're going to be making is fantastic. And I think it's going to be very exciting to see these two brilliant directors who have basically complete their entire careers have been in animation now working in live action and I think uh, I think it's gonna surprise people how yeah. good these guys are because in animation you have to plan things out in advance there's no choice to do that and I think these guys are you know approaching that same philosophy with both John Carter and uh, Mission Impossible 4 and I've seen bits of both of them, and it's pretty impressive what they're doing. I'm very proud of those guys. Fantastic. Uh, should we have another clip? Yes. Let's do we another need clip. another clip. And then we'll take some questions from you guys as well, so get thinking during this. Uh, if you want to, this is in London scene. Yes. Talk um, about that. One of the things that's very exciting about Cars 2 is, is how we... That was it. Um, <laughs> really great. It's very fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, the... Uh, is... is I, I love to bring, you know, uh, these cities that I love so much alive, you know, and look at the car version of that. And this is a short clip of, um, there's, uh, world, there's Lightning McQueen is invited to the World Grand Prix. It's the International Race of Champions. And the first race is in Tokyo. The second race is in um, Porta Corsa, Italy, which is a town we made up on the Italian Riviera. It's kind of like mixing Portofino, Positano, Italy with uh, Monte Carlo. It's kind of beautiful. And then um, the final race is, in, is set in London. And it's kind of the climax of the spy movie going on with this race and stuff. But we, we want to show you just a clip of uh, the, the London part of the race. And uh, it kind of shows you the, the, how we, we carified all of London, which is pretty fun. <laughs> cool. Roll a clip.
gotta go see the movie now. I mean, there's so much more there. It's really great. Yeah. Car London looks pretty good, I have to say. So, how much research went into that? Oh yeah, a lot of research went into um, a lot of research went into this film. We had our teams um, come over to uh, you know to each of the places, and and it's interesting. You know, when you travel around the world, it's like the kind of pictures you take when you're on holiday. Our guys are taking pictures of curbs, of signals, <laughs> of you know, the way that lines are painted in the streets, and right. and that kind of detail to get all the detail right. But it's. Um, it's it's really fun, and when you look closely at all the architecture that in in each of these cities, especially London, you you won't believe how much uh, car detail is is in there. You look at every building, and it's made up of kind of car parts and stuff like that. And we've had a blast <laughs> doing it because we love London so much. And you know, I came to London for the very first time when I graduated Cal Arts in um, summer of 1979, and it really struck me as one of the most unique places on earth because of the so much of it has to do with the vehicle. You know, the double-decker buses and the London taxis among mm. all the other cars are so unique here. And I always, with when I started creating cars, I kept wanting to see those as characters. Mm. And that's, what so, that's one, of, one of the reasons why London was a first choice of, of um, you know, locales that we wanted to take the characters to in this film. That's a very Brit-centric cast as well. You have Sir yeah, Michael Caine, right. Emily Mortimer, Jason Isaacs, Eddie Izzard. It's yeah. not bad. Yeah, and, the, and you know, uh, we had the, the, all the spy cars are kind of British spy cars, you know, and uh, it's, it's really fun. And uh, they have, uh, yeah, we have old school and new school spy cars with, mm. you know, a Finn McMissile with Sir Michael Caine doing the voice, and then uh, Holly Shiftwell is very high-tech. Um, spy car, and she's uh, voiced by uh, Emily Mortimer, and she's fantastic. It's a great Bond name, Holly yeah. Shift. Holly Shift. Well, yeah, it's not bad. Um, I'm going to throw it open to you guys now. If you have any questions at all for John, there will be floating microphones coming around. There's a gentleman right there, so put your hands up, and I'll get around you as soon as I can. First people, sorry, <laughs> we're over there. Keep your hands up if you can. Oh, there's two roving microphones. Brilliant. Yep. There's a guy, second row. Yep. Check shirt. Brilliant. Thank you. Hello. Hi there. Um, what was the mood like in Pixar when you heard that Disney had closed their like, drawn animation wing? And how did you start it up again? Well, um, when we were um, a separate company, you know, we were, Pixar was a separate company. We just had a distribution deal with Disney. And we worked kind of uh, closely with them, you know, on our films. And then they marketed and distributed our, our films. So we really didn't have any any connection too much to the animation department down there. And when Disney decided that um, they felt like audiences were not interested in looking at hand-drawn animation anymore, only computer animation, as did other studios, you know, basically every other studio made that decision. But when Disney did, it was like, I didn't get it. You know, it's like, you know, it's like two studios. One uses camera A and one uses camera B. You know, the studio with camera A makes hit after hit after hit. The studio with camera B makes flop after flop after flop. And they go, mm. oh, we get it. We're using the wrong camera. <laughs> we want to use that camera. And it's just like, um, no, that doesn't make any sense. And so we, uh, so as soon as um, we, Right when we, Ed Camel and I stepped in um, and I became chief creative officer of Disney Animation and Ed King became president, 
we said we want to bring back hand-drawn animation. And we did, and I'm very proud of it because it's, it's just an exquisite art form. And in, in the same way that you look at what's going on in animation right now, with the great puppet animation, both Tim Burton and Henry Salick doing that, uh, clay animation with Ardman, uh, amazing hand-drawn animation from Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli as well as Disney and, and computer animation be done by a lot of uh, great companies but in, in wide um, variety of, of styles and stuff. It, it, I think it's so healthy to have these, these films be made in all these different techniques. And you know, when, when it's made by someone who's just passionate about that technique, they know what subject matter you should be doing with each of those. They know the story that you can come from and then the style of it because they love it so much. And I think that's, that's what's so exciting about what's going on in animation now. And I'm really, really proud of, of bringing back hand-drawn animation. And, um, and we just, and, and it's, it's um, you know, in the key is in choosing the right stories to be told, you know, in those, those techniques. So, and it was, it was great. As soon as we said we were doing it again, it's like, you know, all these artists came back to the studio, brilliant artists. And we really, you know, and, and they've just, and, and also they've, they've really um, come in there and made even the computer animation at the Disney Animation Studio even that much better. If you look at the quality of animation that was entangled, it's just out of this world. And they had a tremendous impact from Glenn Keane sitting there and drawing, you know, over all of the, um, all the computer animation and dailies, animation dailies and helping each animator really with the posing and all the stuff that's going on. So it's really at Disney, the, the merging of hand-drawn animation and computer animation is happening in a very interesting way. There's a lady here in the front row who's had her handle off for the last five minutes, I think, so <laughs> we'll come to you. Yeah, I just wanted to ask, because um, I'm very passionate about um, animation and Pixar and Disney, um, if you wanted to do a project with your company, or how could you contact you like with email to get onto someone there to work with them or anything from England? Um, I hate to say it, but unfortunately, <laughs> we don't take outside ideas. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know. I thank you for your passion for it, but um, all it's a filmmaker-driven studio, and all the ideas come from internal in the filmmakers. And so I'm so sorry, but we don't really take outside um, outside pitches. But sorry about that. Okay. Sorry, but I'm there's a lot of, look, oh. you can turn around and buy some computer animation tools and get your friends and, and do it yourself. You know, that's what's so awesome about right now. I mean, back when I got started in computer animation, all of the, the tools were in the hands of, you know, very expensive computers at universities or a few computer animation companies. And, you know, right now in this store, you could buy a whole film studio. And that's what's remarkable. <laughs> uh, I, I recommend uh, Apple computers. <laughs> okay, I second that. Um, there's, right at the back, there's a lady with her hand up here. Yep, keep your hand up. Thank you. Hello, um, I just uh, thank you for coming to Um, I just wanted to know if you could talk a bit, I know it's a next project, but I've seen the trailer for Brave. Oh, yeah. It looks absolutely fantastic. So oh, thank you. I wanted to know if you could talk a bit about the process for that film, and also sure. is the first time you have a female hero as a main character in Pixar, so if you don't mind talking about
uh, next summer is called Brave. It's set in, uh, it's, it's got a lot of firsts for Pixar. Uh, one of the things I, I love about working at Pixar is we're always challenging ourselves to do something we, we don't know how to do. And we're challenging ourselves to really push, push ourselves storytelling-wise, which leads to pushing ourselves technology-wise. All technical development at Pixar is driven by the needs of the story that we're developing. Um, so Brave is, is the first um, kind of real period film for Pixar. It is um, set in medieval Scotland. And one of the challenges about doing, doing a film set in a real, a real period film is it has tremendous technical challenges because the computer, computer animation, for those who have ever worked in it, it loves to make things absolutely perfect, geometrically perfect. And that's what it likes to do the most. Anything with a sense of history to it, age, whatever, is so hard to do. And so, I mean, Everything, everything in this story, every rock, every, every tree, every, you know, the moss, the castles, the, the people, they all have a sense of history to it. So it's a tremendous amount of technical um, development and complexity involved in that. And I think the huge advances that we made in Cars 2, as far as the level of complexity of this film, Cars 2 is like 10 times more complex than any Pixar film. Um, it, it's really, you know, working its way into Brave to be able to do this kind of, and we could not do Brave even like two or three years ago, the level of complexity of this film. Um, it's also a first for Pixar because it's the first um, fairy tale for Pixar. Pixar's films have always been a little bit more on the contemporary side or whatever, and with, with not a whole lot of magic in them. And this is really great because it's, it's fairy tale Pixar style, which is very different than what we've seen, but still has, you know, it has uh, like these great spells and magic and sorcery and all this stuff that's really clever and, and unique. And so it's taking kind of a Pixar twist on the fairy tale. And it's also, as you said, which we're very excited about, it's Pixar's first female lead character, which is, is something we've been wanting to do for a long time. And Pix in all of Pixar films, we have very strong female characters, but this is the first time we've really had a lead character like that. Her name is uh, Merida, it's uh, Princess Merida, but she's not your typical Disney princess where she's kind of waiting around for her prince to show up. Uh, she's, she's really, um, as we say, a kick-ass princess. So, um, so we're very excited about this, and it's um, being directed by Mark Andrews, who's got some Scottish heritage, and it's really um, a very unique film for, for Pixar, a very unique film kind of in computer animation. We're so excited about it. So that'll be next summer. Um, and, um, and then after that, we have, um, if for those who remember Monsters Incorporated with um, the Sully and Mike, um, we have a sequel to them, but it's not really a sequel. It's again, it's very different from any of the other Pixar sequels. This is actually a prequel. It's how Sully and Mike met and became friends, and they met at college. So it's called Pixar or Monsters University, and uh, and it's a college movie in the monster world. So it's uh, it's really um, really hilarious. It's really funny, and you know when they first met, they hated each other, and so uh, it's it's pretty fun. Fantastic. Many people on the Empire Twitter feed today said, ask him about Toy Story 4. So what's, what's the latest? Well, um, I'm really excited about Cars 2. <laughs> and I hope, I hope you all go see it. I'm very proud of it. Fair enough. There but, but there's a Toy Story 3.5 attached to this one. Yeah, we, you know, one of the things we do love to do is to kind of keep the characters alive by doing short films. And when you go see Cars 2, you will see 
at what we call a, a Toy Story tune. It's called Hawaiian Vacation. It is hilarious. It, it, you've seen it, right? Yeah, right. It's, yeah. it's hilarious. Um, and so uh, it's the middle of winter. Bonnie is about to go on a winter break to a, a Hawaiian vacation. And um, Ken and Barbie stow away in her backpack and think they're going all the way to Hawaii, and they end up just in um, Bonnie's room. So um, <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. So Exclusive Toy Story 4 scoop. Um, okay, so we have a gentleman right here, third row. Keep your hand up so they can they see you. Great, thanks. Um, hi there. In uh, Toy Story 3, the, 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 the final sequence, there was a real sort of emotional epiphany, a real wallop to the end. Did you anticipate the reaction that the audiences were going to have to that? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the reason is, is when uh, Andrew Stanton... We, 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 uh, in Toy Story 3, we went off um, to this uh, cabin out on the, the Pacific coast near, near Pixar in this bay called Tamales Bay. And it was the same cabin that we rented when we hammered out the story for Toy Story. So we thought it'd be good luck. And it was the same people. We went out there to kind of plan out what we wanted to do for Toy Story 3. We had, we had an idea that had been floating around since the end of uh, Toy Story 2 that we had kind of developed. And so we started with that and kind of, you know, developing the idea. So two days we spent kind of working on this. And then we... Um, uh, we we came back and Andrew Stanton took all you know, took the idea that we outlined that that uh, two day um, brain, uh, brainstorming meeting, and he kind of worked on a treatment. And I'll never forget the meeting. We were sitting in a conference room at Pixar, and the same group got together, small group, and Andrew proceeded to read his treatment to us. And when we got to the end of the treatment in that kind of same scene. I was just crying. I was, I, it was so emotional for me because of what these characters have meant to me. These characters have meant to all of us because it kind of is, almost represents Pixar in a way, Buzz and Woody. And to have, you know, to have Andy being handing, you know, each of these characters over to Bonnie and kind of giving them to her. And it was just so kind of emotional for us and that that treatment just kind of tore me up and each of the times when we we you know, looked at the story reel I mean I would just get get weepy eyed again and so I knew that we had something really strong there and it was just we just kept crafting it and kept making sure that that each stage that we kept the emotion and we it, we really worked on it to, to to make sure with the music with Randy Newman uh, Lee Unkrich directing it just really kind of crafted it and we went back and forth and a few times ah, I wasn't quite as emotional we adjusted it some more and so we really kind of worked on it it's, it's kind of this reminds me a little bit of when Bob Peterson and Pete Doctor read the treatment to us in the early stages of Up, about the first 10 minutes there, you know, oh my God, that ripped us up too, you know? <laughs> and that was a pretty amazing uh, tour de force of filmmaking too, is that first 10 minutes, which is completely just with music, you know? And so, but that's, that's you know, that's Pixar. That's what we love to do, is find those things. And, you know, we make movies that, that, that we like to watch, you know? We like to be moved you know, in films, and so, and then we know that if it's moving us, it'll move the audience, and so we really trust our instinct with this kind of thing, and, um, you know, it's, it's exciting working at Pixar, because one of the things that, and I have to credit Steve Jobs for this, is that Pixar were willing to risk things, 
We're willing to do things that most people would say, no one's going to go see a movie about a 72-year-old guy, guy tying a whole bunch of balloons to his house and floating in South America with like a, a, a Boy Scout. You know, it's like, <laughs> what's that about? You know, and he meets a big bird and stuff like that. You know, and it's like, but it's like we believe in this because there's, we know uh, that it could be great. Or a rat that wants to be the, the, the chef in the, a chef in the finest restaurant in Paris. Or on and on. I mean, you know, Wally, a love story about two robots that don't talk. You know, and it's just on and on. We, we, we love that. And I think that, that what's so exciting about Pixar is that, you know, it's not in Los Angeles in Hollywood. It's not in that industry town. We're up where, where in the, the San Francisco Bay Area. And there's something really unique about the San Francisco Bay Area and it's, 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 it's a, there's a culture of entrepreneurism up there. I mean, Silicon Valley is there. Stanford, you know, Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley is there. It's, there's, there's so much research going on. It's not an industry town. There's medical research going on, innovative medical. Of course, the computer industry, you know, on and on and on. The wine, the wine industry is up there, you know? Um, and, and it's just, it's, it's, there's, there's sort of, it's funny when I was at, 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 at Disney early in, you know, in my career, you know, there was, I, I kept, was so excited about computer animation, and I kept being told back then, you know, it was like a totally different kind of leadership than now. They kept telling, that's not the way we do things. It was like a, kind of the answer was no. Whenever I asked for something, it was no. But when I got up to work with, with Ed Catmull in, in, in the Silicon Valley, you know, influence to Pixar and Lucasfilm and all that was going on, it was like, yeah, why not? Let's give it a try. And what's interesting about Ed Catmull leading our group is that Ed was there when pictures, when the computers first started making pictures. You know, computer animation, don't forget, is, a, is an art form that grew out of a science. And in science, there's a, there's a culture of experimentation. And when you think about any kind of scientific world where really experimentation is happening, you know what? Nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, 999 times out of 1,000, the experiments fail. But that's part of it. You learn from those failures and you move on. And, and that is the culture of Pixar. It's like trying things. And failure, failure is expected, it's okay. You know, I understand coined the phrase, it's like, be wrong as fast as you can. <laughs> you know, just try something. And you know you're going to be wrong. The first time you, you, you put a story up on reels, the first time you try something, the first time, whatever. It, it, yeah, don't worry about it, you know? And it's so interesting because Hollywood is, is kind of the opposite. Everybody feels is in fear of losing their job, it seems like, at every other studio. The way I, I describe it is imagine a trapeze artist in a circus. He's way up high on the thing. You know, he's got a trapeze in hand. He's looking across at the guy who's going to catch him. He's going to break a record. He's going to do more somersaults in the air than anybody, any human in history. It's going to be great. Well, if it was Hollywood, not only would there would be no net, there would be poison spikes down below. <laughs> so it's like, is anybody going to even try it? No. You know? But at Pixar, not only is there a net, but there's big fluffy, fluffy down comforters and pillows <laughs> and bean bags and the whole shebang. And it's like, so therefore everybody's trying it, you know? And when someone hits it, everybody, yeah, 
and then they like, go on to the next record. And that's what the feeling is like. And that's what sort of, you know, it, you just feel that up there. I mean, it's the culture of Steve Jobs. It's the culture of Ed Catmull. It's the culture of Pixar, you know. And, and, but everybody knows that all technical development is in the service of the stories because, you know, the audience doesn't care about the technology. It doesn't care about the tools you made a film with. You want to be entertained. And it's like you want to be, and we always think, um, I always feel like Hollywood kind of thinks the audience are, is dumber th than it really is. They kind of aim down to, to the audience, and we're the opposite. We think that the audience is very smart, especially kids in the audience, and we always aim high, you know? And, and we always try to make very smart stories, very smart, smart characters. And, and there's, it's funny how we really care about each other at Pixar. And we really have fun and love each other. And, and, you know, I don't know whether it's just Pixar or it's Bay Area or something. We're, we're, it's not cynical up there, where L.A. is very cynical. And I think that's why there's, there's a quality to the Pixar characters and the stories and things like that that, that we don't really have any cynical characters. You know, they kind of care about each other. But they're all flawed. I mean, we all... We all are flawed. You gotta have flawed characters and that's what makes an interesting story. You know, you inherently like the characters, but you go, ah, Woody, don't make that, don't knock Buzz out the window, you know? And it's like, he, they, they make wrong choices, but you understand, you would probably make those same choices. That's what we always feel like. We wanna get the audience into, into that, that place. But I think it's really a product of, of you know, of us as, as a group of artists working together in the product of kind of the, the culture that we've created of, of being really, really creative. How hard has it been to, to, to maintain that culture, given Pixar's immense success over the years? So it must be easy to fall into, well, we did do it that way for Toy Story, so let's keep on doing it this way. Well, it comes down from the top, and Ed and I are adamant about uh, the, the thing we fear the most at Pixar is becoming complacent. Mm thinking we know what we're doing. Every single Pixar film has been really hard to make. And, and, and people don't believe me in this, but, but every Pixar film at one time or another during the, the creation of the story, it was the worst motion picture ever made. Just dreadful, just awful, wasn't working. But we never gave up on the movie because we, didn't, we wouldn't start the film unless we felt like it had tremendous potential, and we believed in ourselves, we believe in the process, and we just work our way through it. A few times we've had to make changes with directors or writers or, or, or creative people and something like that when, when things aren't gelling, but, but we believe in, in the process so much and believe in the stories, and we just won't let a movie go out that's not great, because you know, quality is the best business plan. And Steve, Steve's, you know, said to me as, as we were uh, making as I was working on Toy Story, he thought, he, he, we were talking one day, and he said, you know, um, with our, at Apple, when, I'm, when we make our computers, it's like, what's the lifespan of them? He said, probably three years. Mm. Five years, they're a doorstop, you know, because the new technology has come on, and it's just obsolete. He said, John, if you do your job right, these films can last forever. Mm. And think about it, you know, think of another movie that was released in 1938 that's watched today or will be watched 10 years from now as much as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mm. And I would argue, even, even think of another movie from 1995 that's watched as much as Toy Story today. And I think it's, it's, it's the quality of the storytelling. 
you know, that it is, that is so important. It makes these, and that's, it's like I, I've studied so much the films of Walt Disney. And when you watch a film like Bambi, you know, the gorgeous restored version, you watch it on a, up on a big screen, and that thing entertains you as much today as it did when it was made. There's nothing dated about that film. Or Dumbo, which is my favorite movie of all time, or Pinocchio, or Cinderella, or these films. They are so good, and they're timeless. Mm -hmm. They're truly timeless. And that's what, one of the things that I'm so excited about, about animation. You know, animation, you could, I mean, you have the opportunity to make things that, that are truly timeless, you know? But it's just really hard work making these films. Really hard work. And, and, and it goes back to, you know, the culture of Pixar. You, you were asking how it's changed. And one of the things that we were concerned about when Disney bought Pixar, yes. um, probably three quarters of the negotiation, Steve Jobs versus, you know, with, with, with Disney, was, was protecting the Pixar culture. It was described by one of the guys that works, works with us as, as lightning in a bottle. It's just there's something magical about this culture, and everybody at Pixar is so protective of it. And trust me, it's like the same way that people give notes on all of our films to, to ourselves. When they feel like that something's happening at the company that, that isn't good for Pixar, we hear about it. Ed Catlin and I, we hear about it. And we listen to the people because it's really important. You know, you go to anybody at Pixar, all 1,200 of them, you ask them, what's the most important thing to you? They'll say Pixar. What's well, the second most important thing, the movie that they're working on. And down the list is somewhere is themselves. Right. And it's so different than, than any other uh, studio in Hollywood. Fantastic. Uh, there's a gentleman right at the back who's been, he's got his hand up right at the very back, I'm afraid. <laughs> Sorry. Keep your hand up so they can see you. Uh, thank you. And there we go. Cheers. Hiya. Um, first of all, John, I'd like to thank you for, well, Oh, thank you. Congratulate you on a great film. We came to the BFI yesterday, me and my partner, and we saw oh, Cars 2. It is brilliant. It's one of the oh, best thank ones Thank you I've very seen. much. Um, you hear that, everybody? <laughs> no, it wasn't paid. <laughs> um, first, a couple of questions. Uh, basically, it was my partner's question yesterday. It was, uh, how did the concept of the Easter eggs come about in the films? Oh, that's great. And how is it decided what actually in goes into the film? Um, and my last one is a bit cheeky. Uh, would you mind signing her cars to our Disney book for her? <laughs> uh, the, 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 the cheeky one, we'll, um, we'll have to see about that because yeah. I think there's a lot of people want things signed and I'm already probably late to some, some place. Um, <laughs> we've got a very tight schedule. But the, um, okay, so the Easter eggs. The Easter eggs, if you don't know about it, are in jokes that we put in our movies. It takes four years to make our films. Our people are very clever and funny, and they f funny stuff finds their way into our movies. And, and we kind of love that. Um, the way it started kind of is, um, is that we, j it started with Toy Story. Since it was our first film, we actually put homages to some of our favorite films, you know. Um, there's kind of a homage to Raiders of the Lost Ark with a giant globe rolling towards Buzz. Um, in Toy Story 2, there's an homage to, to Jurassic Park with Rex, you know, following the little yeah. little car. And there's all sorts of, you know, all through it, there's really um, fun stuff. Um, and so then, but then as it went on, we started putting kind of references to our own kind of movies all through it. And I think where it took a, um, in Monsters Incorporated, 
at the end, if you remember, when, when they finally get Boo, the little girl, into her own room, which is a big goal that they've had for the, um, for the movie, um, is, and she's so excited to show Sully her toys. And so the first thing she, she holds up is a Jesse doll, right? And she shows it to him. And the next toy that she shows is a little orange fish with white stripes. And at the time, everybody thought, oh, it's a, just a little orange fish with white stripes. No one realized <laughs> it was Nemo, the character for our next movie that hadn't come out yet. And so, so we started doing that. We started putting kind of um, references to movies that, uh, Pixar movies that haven't come out yet. Um, if you remember in Ratatouille, when, um, when Remy is going up between the walls, kind of going up from the sewers, going up, it's a really awesome sequence that Brad did going up. And he comes out, and there's this shadow of a dog barking. Rup, 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 rup. Well, that's Doug from the movie Up, you know, is in there. And that's like, I don't know, that's, you know, the two movies away, yeah, yeah. you know. And so we, we, we enjoy doing that. And I'll tell you that in Cars 2, there's a reference to our next movie, Brave. I'm not going to tell you where it is. <laughs> You'll have to find it. It's, it's really clever. And then um, uh, th there's one object, some of you may know this, but there's one object that, that, that has been in every Pixar film. Of course, John Ratzenberger does a voice in every Pixar film. But there's one object that's seen. Do you, anybody notice what it is? What is it? A113, that's a good one, but no, that's not it. <laughs> the Luxo Junior Ball? No, that's not it. That's a good one, too. Anybody? Uh, what? Here, the Pizza Planet truck from Toy Story. <laughs> the Pizza Planet truck is in every Pixar film. How we're going to get it in medieval Scotland in Brave, <laughs> I have no idea, but trust me, we'll figure out a way. Um, but it's in, it's in Cars 2 as a character in two places. Two places. Two different places in the film, but that's all I'm going to tell you as well. But we love that. And also, if you see, there's references to people's names as far as adverts. And so uh, I didn't know about it, but they surprised me with putting um, Lassatire, spelled the proper British way, T-Y-R-E, into uh, the film, as you see. So it's, it's really fun. But we love that. And, and also, it's like in, in our um, DVDs and stuff, we've been big fans of all the extras you know, um, one of the things that the philosophy I have at Pixar, being chief creative officer, is I love to over deliver in everything that we do. And that's one of the, the exciting things about, you know, going to a Pixar feature film, we don't even advertise it, you get a Pixar short film with every, every movie. Um, you, you know, the DVDs are loaded with extras mm. that we, and we get that because we, we were big fans of laser discs back in the early days, you know, with a criterion editions yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of great movies and commentaries and stuff like that. So we have a real culture of saving everything, all the mistakes and trying to put it in there as, as features. And a lot of the Easter eggs, you know, come from that as well. Fantastic. So that's your homework for this weekend, by the way. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> go and spot those Easter eggs. Uh, I think this is the last question from this gentleman right down here in the front row. Oh, and the little boy down there, of course. Of course. Yeah, he, we got it answered. Yeah, we'll get to Right, well, uh, and this little me. boy's asking. <laughs> <laughs> and go. Um, you mentioned about the technology being, being not quite there yet when you first started with Toy Story and things like that. Over all the films that you've done so far, what's been what what's been the biggest challenge in terms of the character or an object that you've tried to render or create or something like that? And also, what what inspires you for the stories as well? 
Um, sort of one of the things that I think I, I the technological um, development and stuff, the, you could, there's a simple way to look at computer animation. The more organic something is in the way it looks or moves, the harder it is to do with a computer. The more geometric something is, or perfect, is easier to do. Um, and so I think one of the things that's always kind of the hardest to do is the human characters. They're, they're just, there's, and, and one of the things that makes it hard is that we as an audience, we look at humans every day. In the mirror, you know, our families, our friends, all that stuff. And so if you don't get it right, it just, it takes you out of the movie. There's, we don't, at Pixar, we don't try to make things real or realistic. We like to make things believable. Because there's, there's something called photorealism in computer animation where you can make something look absolutely real. And there's a whole industry of, with uh, special effects that that's, that's what they do. What we do is like to take the tools that make things photorealistic and take a step back from reality and produce something the audience knows does not exist from beginning to end. It's an animated film, you know it doesn't exist. But then it's really fun to make things look, oh, I feel like I can touch it, but I know, I know this isn't real, but boy, it sure looks real. And that's part of, I think, one of the charm from the beginnings that, that we've had, even with the short films like Luxo Jr., you know, um, is, is, is having this, this sense like, wow, there's something sort of real about this, but I know it doesn't exist. And it has this kind of part of the, the entertainment value, I think, of, of Pixar films. And I've always loved doing that. I've loved pushing that sort of, um, the believability, I like to say, of that. Uh, but I would say the human characters is, is the hard thing. And so Brave is pushing it to new levels because there's a couple of things that are very challenging. Um, if you see the trailer, when you go see the movies, Cartoon, too, that we have the, the, the teaser trailer for Brave there, and it's the main character, Merida, has this beautiful um, red curly hair, the big kind of mane of this, this great hair, and that is just crazy hard to do. The other thing is, is clothing. And I think we've had a lot of clothing in the past, like with Ratatouille, and it kind of started with, with um, Jerry's Game. Remember that great um, short where the old man's playing himself in chess? Mm -hmm. That was our first kind of real attempt at, at, at a, convin a convincing, believable human character. And we, um, and so in Brave, the, the clothing is just kind of cold, and it's layers upon layers of, of clothing, which is something we've never been able to do. And also l l studying, essentially, we don't, don't think about it, but you can look and see like a heavy wool skirt versus a very light silk skirt or something satin or things like that. You just know right away with the way it moves and the hangs and all like that. And that is so hard to do with the, the simulation and stuff. And, and so that's what we're learning to do layers and all these different fabrics and stuff along with the hair and the muscle, the muscle work. We've done really innovative work because there's a, a, um, a really amazing a bear in, in Brave that is um, got this unbelievable muscle work on it and also the, the horses and stuff. It's really kind of innovative, the work that's being done there. So that's kind of where we're, we're right now where the big challenges are in, in, um, in what we're developing. And um, what was the last part of your question? Oh, and what do I get my inspirations from? Your life itself, I think, where we get our inspirations from, at being a filmmaker-driven studio, I like to, to take a look at, you know, um, having the directors and the kind of creative teams come up with the ideas, because inevitably they, they're drawing it from their own 
experiences. There is something that happened. For me, cars um, was inspired from my, my father, who was a parts manager, Chevy dealership, and wrapped into um, kind of this, this motorhome trip I took with my family. Uh, Andrew Stanton um, was inspired on Finding Nemo with a simple, you know, where he was walking his son to his park, and he was so scared about his son getting on, you know, he just told him, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and he was so, he realized he was, he was so scared that, that his son might get hurt that he was preventing him from living. You know, and it was, it, it, you know, little things like that come from it. Um, I think Pete Docter was inspired by his grandparents for, for Up, you know, um, and it's, it's interesting. It's, it's like, it's a very special kind of things. And that's what makes our movies, I think, they touch people because they're based upon these emotions that, that we really have. It's not just sort of an executive getting a pitch from some, you know, some writer, and then it's given, it's handed down to different writers, and next thing you know, it's assigned to a director. It's like these things come from people's hearts, and that's what now both, you know, Disney Animation and Pixar is, is, is filmmaker-driven studios, so that we can get the inspiration. But then, from there, from then on, once once we start a project, I believe in research. It's something that that is really adam that I'm adamant about. That every project is research because you never know where the great ideas are going to come from. From once you, you you start down a path, and we from universities to professors to trips to trying to get experts to experiences yourself. Like I made sure that you know, all the creative team on Finding Nemo became certified scuba divers because I'm a certified scuba diver, and I said you've got to get underwater and see it yourself, you know, to make sure that y you're doing it right, you know. Um, and, and, you know, we've taken race driving classes for, for cars. We sent all our animators out to the racetrack to get hot laps with race drivers to get the feeling of what it's like. Um, you know, we've, we've uh, in Brave, our team has gone uh, a, a few times to Scotland to really study the people but, and talk to people and all like that, but also, you know, visit all the different kind of sites to make sure it feels authentic. Because it's really important for us that, that, that each of our subject matter of our films, we want people who know that subject matter to look at it and go, they did their homework. I mean, how many of you have, have seen a movie on, you know, a subject matter you love? You know, football or fishing or you name it, you know, and, and it's like, oh, it's Hollywood, we can do whatever we want. And they don't get the details right. You don't get the terminology right. You don't get the way the things move right and all like that. And right away, you lose credibility. And we never want to lose credibility. And so if we, we, f we feel like if we can, you know, like Cars was, um, was considered by, you know, a number of car magazines as the best automo auto movie about cars ever in history because we got the details right. And if we can get the... the the professionals who work in the automobile industry or the racing industry to look at it and go, wow, they got, th they got it right, then the rest of the audience will know that it, it feels authentic, feels real, and it feels believable. So Fantastic. Now we have time for the last question. This young man here in the front row. Thank you. Hello, John. Hello. I love cars. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Motorspeed of the South was released after the first Cars film. There are only 1,000 sets in the world. I'm lucky to have one, as my favourite car is Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have the Motorspeed of the South set? Yes, okay. So, there, what he's talking about is we did a special collector edition of the... the, the, the um, 
this motor speedway of the south set where all of the the piston cup racers including lightning mcqueen are in this set it was really cool right isn't it really cool it's like there's a <laughs> bank turn right and all that and all the cars and it's the only place that you can get the apple car it was my little gift to steve right of 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 it may, printing out or making one of the sponsors of one of the Piston Cup cars as being an Apple car. Now, typically NASCARs are really um, tacky, you know, with just loaded with stickers and all that stuff. And so when we did the Apple car, it's white with a beautiful gray Apple logo on it. And all the, all the, everything's lined up like Johnny Ive would do, just like perfectly <laughs> down there. And we originally had the, uh, the, the, the number on the side of the Apple car was G5. Right back when the, when the G5 <laughs> chip was in the things, and so I called Steve and I said, "Hey, we're going to do this. Is that is that okay?" There was a long pause in the other end of the phone. He said, um, "And this was long before they announced they were moving away from Motorola chips to Intel chips." And he kind of, um, "Can you give it a different number?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I can. And so we gave it the we gave it eighty four for okay. nineteen eighty four when okay. the Mac came out and stuff like that. So I have no idea why he wanted it. But then in in a little while before um, cars came out, they announced they were going over to Intel chips, and I got it. okay, I got it. So he didn't want to go backwards. But the um, yes, I am lucky. I have one of the Motor Speedway um, of the South sets myself. I'm very proud of it. It's right in my my office and stuff and. Um, I'm so glad because in the Apple car, cool. It's very <laughs> rare. It's very collectible and stuff. How did you get it? Did did you get it from um, online or something, or did you? Christmas. Oh, Christmas! <laughs> Someone really loves you. <laughs> you know how hard it was to get that. Do you realize? Someone really. Santa Claus really loves you. Santa was online like as soon as it was released going bye 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 hoping it would click in there because the thing it, it's it was released on a on a collector set a collector website for mattel and it i think it sold out within like you know five minutes or something like that it wow. was like super fast so i keep telling them i mean you know there's a lot of collectors out there of all these cars. I have to say that the whole die cast thing is something I really love because I was the perfect age in the, in the late 60s when Hot Wheels came out, Mattel's Hot Wheels, and I've just been a, a fan of that. And so when we started thinking about doing products for cars, um, I started working with, with Disney Consumer Products and we naturally went to Mattel because we wanted to get, get, it, get them really... Um, really well made. I wanted that die cast, that heavy feel. But we, I really thought that this could be different than Hot Wheels cars because they're, they're characters. I said this is going to be more like a Hot Wheels car combined with an action figure. Mm. And so I really, I, I worked with them. I said let's make them slightly bigger. So the die cast for cars is 155th scale where Hot Wheels is about 164th scale. So it's a little bit bigger. I thought you could see the expressions better. And um, and what's interesting is that originally cars, early on, we had a release date that was going to be in November because tr traditionally all Pixar films were kind of released in November. And then some point in time it shifted to uh, summer, which was, you know, for in the United States. And so uh, Mattel was like, oh, we don't sell as many toys in the summertime. So they actually reduced the number of cars they were making. And I said, are you guys crazy? <laughs> you know? And so as soon as... 
the diecast cars kind of hit the shelf about two weeks before cars came out. They were sold out like that. And, and it's like everybody was clamoring. Every store was clamoring to try to get more. And I called the head of Mattel. Hey, so can we make more cars now? <laughs> you know? And they, I, th- I don't know, they're 100 million or something like that, diecast. And so then we started, because I always had, I don't know if any of you guys collected the um, Star Wars figures from you know, kind of the early. And, and how, yeah. yeah. Remember how cool it was? They even had figures for like a guy that was in one scene, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, and so I, I, I just... That's what the vision I had of just like, let's do every car, you know, that, that you see in the movie. Even if it's just one shot, let's, let's have that car as a diecast. So he came up with names for every single guy and every, in a little bio for each one, you know. And it's like hilarious, hilarious, silly um, bios for each of these, these cars. But it's like 256 or something like that cars wow. from the first movie. Then we have the, the Mater's Tall Tales. Do you, have, do you watch Mater's Tall Tales? Yeah, aren't they awesome? <laughs> yeah. And then do you have any of those die cast? Yeah. They're really funny. And then um and then of course with the cars too, we just we yeah, uh, there's a lot of good ones coming out. So we're and they'll they'll go out for a, a few few years, I think. Fantastic. So, and uh, anyway. do you do you play with them or do you keep them in the box? Yeah, keep them in the box. Yeah. <laughs> Smart. No, see see what yep. you need to do, you need to ask Santa for two. <laughs> one you keep in the package and the other one you take out and play with that's what I do I ask Santa for that <laughs> so that's it's really important to have two okay so Wisdom. thanks for the question that's really cool that you have that that's very that's special awesome. good last question I thought and uh, yeah. that, on that bombshell we will end uh, thank, you, right. thank you thank you to the so Apple store I, don't you think this is great <laughs> thank you for having me thank you to John Lasseter Thank you, everybody.